Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you again for your word and God for your sacrifice, for what you did for us and for how it is still changing and saving lives today, just like it was back then in this day when this letter was written. Um, teach us by your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. So I, I titled this message, uh, I Promise, but then there's parentheses, I will. Because when I was a kid, I said this to my parents, and specifically my dad, who had, um, who had the paddles, plural, two paddles. I think one of them was, was an inch and a half thick. Um, and he claimed he got it from like college, like his fraternity or something, or, or something along those lines. But it was, it was well used on me, I'm not going to lie. The 80s were a different time than today. But I used to just like get into so much trouble, and I'd be like, I promise I will, I promise. You're getting a spanking, we get home. I promise I will. I'll never do that again. And the I promise I will statements with me, if I had a nickel for every one that I ever said, I'd be, I'd be super wealthy right now. But we want... When we want, as people, when we want something, does not matter what it is, our promise, our motivation, our words are strong. When we're signing a contract, when we're wooing our spouse, when we're at the car dealership and the, and it, the car that our dreams is like an hour away, we promise to pay the 15 pieces of paper that that person's printing off, but we know from the amount of car repossessions that a lot of those promises failed. Um, so unfortunately, in our culture, contracts are the biggest thing in the world. There's a contract for everything. There's when you uh, download an app, when you get a, uh, when you download a service, there is five pages that you don't read. I know you guys don't read it, that you just go you sign this agreement. You, you just fly through it. You're like, where's the thing at the bottom that says, I agree, click. I don't, I've never read a cell phone contract. I mean, for all I know, they're prom I'm promising my children. I don't know what's in there. But the best one I think most people are, are aware of when it comes to I promise or promissory notes or whatever is at a closing table in a real estate transaction. When you're sitting, and in Illinois where I'm from, both parties come into a room together. It's called an attorney closed state. So attorneys show up and realtors show up and mortgage bankers show up and the couple sits right here and the couple sits right here and you sit and you sign on the spot and then the money comes. The money is in escrow and then it gets sent to the person selling the house once all of it's done. And a lot of times, I was a mortgage broker 20 years back, a lot of times people have these last minute conditions they're supposed to satisfy. Oh, we need your most recent paycheck stub. We need your most, uh, the bank is asking before you close for your bank statement. And all we hear is people frantically going, I promise I will send it to you. Just let me close today. I promise I will get it to you the second Monday morning at eight o'clock. The second you're in there, you're going to see this. I got to tell you, that never happens. And the reason why they're so horrible and they're like, nope, we're not closing. You're not closing. You're not staying in this house on Friday afternoon. You thought you were going to move in. You're moving trucks outside. If you don't get us this stuff right here, your, your promissory note is null and void until you do. And that is how things go. Because a person's promise is only as good as their ability to perform or a person's guarantee. Many people promise a lot of things. Many people promise to warrant your car over the telephone. You guys have had these phone calls. The problem is they didn't listen to which car you have. And when you tell them you drive a 1985 Buick LeSabre and they've already run your credit card, that car will not be warranted, I promise you. 
but it, they will tell you up front, we promise to warrant your car. We promise to give you coverage. God, on the other hand, cannot get out of his promises. God will not ever go back on a promise. If he says he's going to do something, if it's a straight, it's a one-way street on that, it has nothing to do with you or I, it is going to get done. And depending on the promises in the scriptures, which are over 7,400 promises in the scriptures, um, it is, I mean, depending on, on which data uh, you, you read, there's 7,447 promises or something in the, in the word. We're focusing on one this morning, the one I promise in scriptures. In verse 15 of Galatians chapter 3, Paul says, brothers or brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant. Yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. No one can annul a contract that a person signs. It is true when two people enter into a real estate contract, it's very hard for one party to get out of, of the contract. Um, there has to be a breach. There has to be a condition that is not met. But if both conditions on both sides, if the conditions on both sides are met, that contract cannot be touched. You can't, somebody else can't come in and go, well, I'm going to buy the house or I'm going to destroy your contract or I'm going to close first. It cannot happen. So even Paul saying to these uh, Galatians, even with people, a contract or a covenant doesn't change. It's not annullable. Even in speaking in these types of terms, what we would call man-made language, what he's trying to tell them and what he told them last week is the law brings a curse. Going back to the law, going back to Judaism, going back to something other than the gospel of Jesus Christ alone brings a curse. And so we're really focusing this week on this idea of the changeless promise or the promise of God through Abraham. We'll get there in a second. But it's a very common thing in everyday life to have contracts. You may not know that you have signed contracts. You may not know that you have verbally acknowledged someone's contract, like this phone call is being recorded for quality purposes. You are, by continuing on, agreeing that that's okay. Now, you may not like that you're being recorded, but you're being recorded a whole lot more than you think, just so you know. It's being, everything's being recorded. So, Understand, your voice and likeness may show up in the future in places that you never had imagined. But in this day, we have to have contracts. There are 1.3 to 1.4 million lawyers in America right now. Just think about that. 1.4 to 1, 1.3 to 1.4 lawyers in this country, and most of them write contracts, or most of them can write contracts. God does not need a contract. He's the only one that doesn't. How many times have we fallen in love with something? And I didn't know that they did this, but when I used to go to the puppy store, I had this great idea that you could just rent puppies. That was like one of my ideas. It's like, let's go rent puppies. Let's go have Uber puppy. And you want to play with a puppy for the afternoon? Great. It's $200. And by the time that puppy poops on your brand new carpeting once, you'd be like, hey, Uber, come get this thing. It goes back to the puppy shop. It goes back to the puppy kingdom at the mall. What I didn't understand is that they finance puppies at the mall. And so when you used to, I haven't been there in a while, but used to see, let's say you see this golden doodle, which everybody has, and it says $5,000 or $122 for eight years. Dog's going to live seven. 
you're going to be paying on it for a year after it dies. I'm not kidding. There are contracts and financing contracts for everything, but God is the only one that doesn't need one because he can't go back on his promise. It's, it's as impossible as anything that you could imagine for God to go back on his promise. And so Paul's trying to tell these these Galatian believers who are believing a lie, who are believing a heresy, even though I'm only speaking to you, just like these people are speaking to these Judaizers, I'm speaking to you in man-made language or, or the language you understand. Even a contract today with you guys is not annullable. He says in verse 16, now to Abraham and his seed, singular, were the promises made. It's very important how this, is, how this is worded. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. There's so much in this verse, and I think a lot of people maybe, when they, when they read through this letter, maybe shoot past that verse a little bit. There's so much in the, the subtleties. But to read this quickly, you might go, oh yeah, yeah Abraham's seed, to his seed. So that's his kid. That's Isaac, or that's the promised one. And to seeds, why would he say that? Why would he say seeds afterwards? Abraham had eight sons. A lot of people don't know that. A lot of people don't talk about that. But he only had one son with Sarah. And he was about 100 and she was about 90. Promised way, way, way before that. And all of Abraham's other sons were with concubines, were with women he was not married to. And so he's talking, Paul's talking about this Abrahamic promise, this Abrahamic covenant, which was to Abraham and his seed, who would come through Abraham later on is Christ, he's saying. And so the promises, these promises are, are laid out in Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 13. And like I said, they are singular. Some people will talk about the idea of Abraham or the seeds of Abraham, um, that, that we're the children of Abraham, or we're of Abraham. Some in the uh, New Testament would talk about Moses. I want to shoot back. Um, I don't know the uh, exact, I think I have the scriptures um, uh, referenced in a couple different places where Jesus said this, but in chapter 8 of John, he's talking to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are coming at him, and they're so disrespectful, they're so the things they're saying to Jesus, it's like, man, if you knew who you were talking to, you should be shaking right now. But make no mistake, Pharisees are Jewish people. They're the most Jewish people there are. And in John chapter 8, specifically verses 31 through 38, he lays this out. And he lays out who he is, who he came from. And he says, you guys might be kids of Abraham, seeds of Abraham. You might be connected to Abraham, but you are of your father, the devil. And to say that to the Pharisees, there, were, there, there wasn't just a couple of people around in this. But to say this out loud to them, they were ready to kill him for this. And so um, Matthew chapter 1 starts off by saying who Jesus is. Um, he talks, and we'll get there in a second. But people talk about, um, you know, in our, in our day, when you talk about the, I want to be careful how I say this, what marriage is today? What, what is marriage today in, in the culture in what John MacArthur would call a, we're returning to a pre-Christ 
uh, society where people just have, they have no idea. They have no idea the gospel. They have no idea like they're just, they're raised, they're religious or they're raised outside of church now. Um, some of the lowest church attendance numbers um, ever are right now. And so when you talk to people about marriage, well, what is marriage? Well, marriage in our culture has changed in the past 15 years, and it is whatever the government says it is to the public, to the actual public. To God, it has always been one thing, and it always will be one thing. God's not going to change. He's unchanging. I know it's an unpopular topic, but it is the Word of God. Jesus goes back in the New Testament and says, hey, in the beginning, they were made male and female. There's two genders. There's not 800. There's not 1,400. I don't even remember hearing the word in the 80s as a kid, gender. It was just never an issue. But the confusion of all of these things leads a society to more lostness, leads a society to where they can't grasp something this simple because things are so gray and they're so confusing and they're so convoluted. But they would like to say that they're, they're just complex, the gender is just complex. We don't even know. All of this stuff, is, it seems like it's being made up every day, made up on the fly. But, the, but, but there, I bring that up because Abraham was married to Sarah. The concubines, people like King David, people like King Solomon, it's not like God blessed the, their multiple marriages. Never will you see it. You'll never see it. God never ordained it. He never said to do it. It was always an issue. Just look at David's kids. Look at the trouble in David's household. Look at Solomon's life. Read Ecclesiastes. You'll be like, this seems like a New York Times bestseller uh, of somebody who just wanted to write something sad. That's what Ecclesiastes until like the last chapter is like. And so even though Abraham had eight kids, there was one legitimate. There was one that God honored. There was one that was the son of promise. And through this kid, the Messiah would come, this promise. And so it goes back to um, God's promise 400 plus years before the law. And so what he's trying to help them to understand is, guys, this promise predates the thing you're going back to. It predates the Jewish uh, protocols that you're being forced into right now. It predates Moses. Abraham predates Moses. So now Abraham and his seed were the promises made. So to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say seeds as of many, but as of one. He says, and to your seed, who is Christ. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed by God in Christ, that it should be made, that it should, that it should make the promises of no effect. God's promise from 400 years plus before the Mosaic law was confirmed through a ceremony where, if you read the story, I don't have time to get into it, but how the animal, this bull was cut in half, and during Abraham's waiting on God and birds and all the, all the crazy other things that you can, that you can um, when, you, when you do a sermon on that, you can bring in all these other, like, the birds are the doubts, the birds are the sins, the birds are the things that you and I struggle with, that while Abraham was asleep, God came through that God did it all. He wasn't waiting for Abraham to be like, how much effort, God, how long do I have to stay up? How, how, what do I have to do to fight off all these birds? And that it was done while Abraham was resting. Was, it, it is, there's so much in that. But that Abraham, uh, the law came later 
and it does not cancel the contract or the covenant that was confirmed by God. But why do we struggle so much with this? This has kind of been my angle on this as I've looked through my own heart, my own life, my own struggles. We struggle with doubt and we struggle with covenants and we struggle with contracts and provisions and the provision of God because we are double-minded. We live in a world where we can revert back to our flesh, where we can jump into our flesh quickly, where we can get angry before we wait on the Lord and we'd be like, I got to make a decision now. I got to do something now. Well, now that you're really, really angry, great idea. Great decisions are made. Great decisions are made then. But we're double-minded. James tells us that. He doesn't, I mean, he's, James wasn't even, the brother of Christ was not even a fan of his own brother while Jesus was doing his miraculous um, miracles. But in a few weeks, you and I are going to have a New Year's Day church service. And what does New Year's Day bring? It brings resolutions. New Year's resolutions, some stats on those if you'd like to know. These are hilarious. Um, And there's plenty of other things out there um, that are interesting that that pertain to why people do this in the first place. Why they they just throw out New Year's Day like, oh, let me eat uh, all of the cookies like I did. I went to Costco and bought that Belgium cookie thing because the the. The girl that gives you the, the sample, she's like, yeah, just keep, just keep trying them. Try, I'm like, one after another is better than the next one. And I, I look at a cookie, I'm like, I don't think I would like that cookie. She's like, oh, there's chocolate on the back of it. You're going to love it. And so I bought it. I ate almost half of them, like yesterday. It's all right. It, it is, but I, I don't feel so good. But 41% of Americans that make New Year's resolutions, 41% of us, in America, make New Year's resolutions. 9% next New Year's Eve say that they think that they did it properly. 9%. So, I don't know, a hundred and something million people make some kind of a promise to themselves, uh, hey, I'm going to exercise every day, hey, I'm going to eat right, hey, I'm going to go, whatever, whatever it is. There's a lot of, those are two of the the bigger ones. But 9% of people feel The quotations were, I feel that I have fulfilled or kept my New Year's resolution. Once again, there's no chance that the number is even that high. So 9% feel that they've done, oh, yeah, yeah. Whenever you interview 100 people, at least 20 are going to lie to you. 20 out of 100 are going to lie to you. So who knows? It could be 2%. But I don't know um, that, like I said, I don't don't know the, the real stats on how they would know exactly. But it's a lot of people that make promises. And it's so many more that don't fulfill them. Most people joke about by just January 7th, theirs is gone. They don't even make it a week. Can't do a week. But because you and I are so bad, and I don't mean any specific person in here, but people are so bad at keeping their word collectively. The human race does not have an awesome track record if we need 1.4 million lawyers. I mean, that's literally like a lawyer per 100 people or more. It's because we can't keep our promises. And sometimes it's not that we doubt God, but it's because we doubt ourselves so much that we think, how could he possibly still be in, like interested in me? How could he possibly still be striving with me? You read the Old Testament and you see a lot of violations. You see a lot of bad things that happen. And a lot of that, you know, it's best not to judge the mind of God and be like, well, I know why he destroyed those people or this people or that people. We don't know the mind of God. 
But when, when non-Christians or when atheists or when people that attack the Bible, when they go after God for, um, you know, this Abrahamic story, like Abraham, you waited all this time for your son Isaac only to sacrifice him. And it's like, what do you think abortion is? Like re really, like an atheist that, that thinks I could never believe in a God that would ask Abraham to do that when the point was he was testing Abraham. It, it was never going to go through like that, that there was a ram in the thicket and, and he said, God will provide himself a lamb, himself a lamb. That's what Jesus was. He was a lamb of God. And people go, oh, you know, I, I can't, you know, I can't possibly uh, believe in a God, this and this. You're, you're doing that very same thing. You're supporting that very same thing in a different realm, in a different, you're just calling it something else. You're calling it a procedure or you're calling it love or you're calling it whatever. Because what people love, love to do is they love to take God's plan and twist it. They love to take what God made and, and reinvent it to whatever they think it should be. And so it's no doubt that these folks struggled. The, I mean, anybody would when they're brand new in the faith and these people come in that are supposed to be a big deal and that know more than them and they sound really religious and they sound really smart and they go, hey, you guys, in order to really be saved, you have to, you have to do what we're doing. You have, to, you have to go back to the festivals. You have to keep the law. You have to do all these other things. And so we struggle as people because we struggle so much in general. Verse 18 in the, in the last of this section. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. God's promise to Abraham was a guarantee. It was not a suggestion and it wasn't, well, if you're good enough and smart enough, I might send Christ. Nope. He said, I am going to bless you. I am going to send this seed, who is, which is Christ, which is the Mashiach, which is the deliverer. It was not contingent on Abraham keeping the law. Abraham struggled in his life, but he also had big time faith. He also had Moments in time where you go, wow, you, that is amazing faith, Abraham, that when he tells him in Genesis, I think it's 12, he says, hey, leave your family. Go to a place I'll show you, not four blocks down on the left. There's a sweet plot. Just go. Leaving your family was dangerous on many levels in, in Abraham's day. And Abraham goes, I believe you. I believe that you're just, and I believe that you're right, and I believe that you'll come through. Did he struggle? Of course he did. We can struggle and believe. There, there is that ability um, in, in this uh, human skin. But Abraham did not have, have what you and I know as the law. He did not have the Ten Commandments. He did not have the Mosaic Law. But Abraham also messed up many times. Very, very shortly thereafter, um, you can read one of Abraham's greatest mess-ups as he went down to Egypt. But Abraham, like I said, had eight sons. And we know of one wife that God, that God looks at as an actual marriage, and we know of one son that God gave him. The New Testament starts off with Matthew saying, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's how the New Testament starts. So I want to just briefly read a couple of um, just kind of some thoughts that tie it together. But you and I will struggle in this life with doubts. At some point in time, they will come. 
Uh, sometimes they come in droves. Sometimes they come like the birds that are like seagulls that are, when you throw a little piece of bread and there's like a million of them and you're like, man, I couldn't fight these things off if I tried. Sometimes that's how it feels. But unfortunately, sometimes you and I transfer our doubts. Sometimes we transfer those doubts and we believe those things more than God. Sometimes we believe that God might waver too because I'm wavering. How can I expect God's promise, God's blessing, what have you, when I'm struggling to believe him or when I'm struggling in my faith or I'm going through a tough time, how could, I, how could he be any different than me? Now that gets into another whole sermon, but we're, gonna, we're just going to take it the way sometimes the, the, most, the path of least resistance is to just look at human, human behavior. Why people struggle so much when you talk to people? Because they see the, the flaw in themselves and they see the flaw in humanity. They won't necessarily call it sin, and they won't necessarily agree with you that, it, that there is sin or original sin, but they know that people mess up. They know that people are not trustworthy. They know that people, you can't trust them as far as you can throw them. But God does not waver like you and I do. He does not change. Now, some people are encouraged by that. I am encouraged by that. Uh, some people are not encouraged by that. But God is unchanging and unfortunately, it seems that in our lives and in this culture, in the technological age that we live in, change is part of an hour of a day. Things change minutely, hourly, daily. They change so much that you and I, that's all that's tattooed inside of our head. That's all that's on our mind is this is changing, this is changing, this is changing. The country's changing. Everything around you is not nailed down, really. It really isn't except for that carpet. Um, but God does not. And unfortunately, because we struggle with sometimes, some people love change, but some people really, really don't embrace it. And so when everything changes around them, they, they struggle to stay grounded. They struggle to, to believe that God's promise is for them, that it's thousands of years old. And everything's so modern and current and in your face, and it's right now. But that's not God. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He always has been. He's, he has never changed. But because laws change, another thing that changes in our country, because laws change, and Paul goes back to that idea of the contract, laws change sometimes daily in this world, daily in your state, daily in your municipality. There's new, uh, I don't... This just changed uh, that uh, somebody just told me you no longer have to have a notary stamp on your car title to sell your car in Arizona. That's never been the case. It, as long as I've lived here um, and I've had lots of different cars here and, and love to, to play around with them and mess around with cars, that you know you could just, your title is cash. Like if somebody somehow got your title and somehow got your car, it's gone is what the DMV just said. Well, that just changed. That, that, that had like, I think it's stupid personally. I think it's, it's, it's one less thing that is a, is a security provision for us. But things like that change so often that sometimes we transfer and we go, well, God might be like that too. God might, he might just decide, mm, I don't really, I'm not really for you anymore. You have done too much. You have gone too far. But we know if we go back to the scriptures and if we go back to Paul's teaching, if we go back to Philippians, if we go back to these letters, we know that the gospel is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I believe that's why God put it out there so far before the law. 
that he said, in Christ, Abraham, you, you are going to be a blessing to people. The, the country of Israel, in some way, shape, or form, that word means governed by God. Now, are all Israelis governed by God? No. If you go over to Israel, they're not the biggest fans of you and I, <laughs> of Calvary Chapel people. Um, and I've been over there, and it's very, very difficult to start a conversation about that. But the country was founded by God taking a people, taking Moses and saying, I want you to leave and I want you to go and I want you to worship me and I want you to be my people. And there's always been a remnant. There's always been a few. And even in Israel today, if you go over there, you'll meet a few. There's little churches over there. There's little Calvary chapels over there that you can find and there's 20 or 30 people in there. And they're Jewish people and they're praising and singing their guts out for Yeshua. That's God's promise. Even when the world seems so against it all, and it is, the prince of the power is against this book being read publicly pretty much anywhere except for a church nowadays. But God is unchanging. I just want to close by reading it. Um, it's only four verses in its entirety. He goes, Brothers, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant. Yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed where the promise is made, he does not say and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the, the covenant that was confirmed by God in Christ. Nothing can. That it should be made, the prom that it should make the promises of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, and you, get, you and I need to hear that, if any, anything that you and I do is of the law or of something that you and I bring to the table, it is not a promise. It's not a guarantee from God. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the promise of the gospel. We thank you for the promise of the deliverer. We thank you, Lord. It's, it's hard in our, in our culture of the, the, with the busyness that we all have. It's hard to really pause and to, to comprehend how many years that was. Thousands and thousands of years of a plan that no matter what Satan tried to do, the enemy tried to do, it could not stop Christ from not only coming to this earth and living the law perfectly and fulfilling it perfectly, but dying on a cruel Roman cross and becoming the curse for all of us that are in him. God, we thank you for making a way when there was no other way. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.